Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Hi everyone, good evening, welcome, Ashley Brown here, and we are the Hawks Insiders. Um, as we look ahead to Friday's match simulation game against Western Bulldogs at the Witten Oval, and looking back at all things brown and gold over the past, uh, well, six days since we last spoke to you, we spoke to you last Thursday after the intra-club game, Um but it'll be a good chat tonight. We're down a few soldiers, so lots of opportunities for you to jump on and have your say for far as a question. We will get to them for sure. Um, so we're a bit threadbare, as I said, but uh, joining me firstly in the control booth this evening, Darren Levine. Hello, Daz. Hey, Ash. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, in a similar boat to you. Uh, I feel like I'm on the verge of getting sick and came, just coming down from a massive uh, uh, weekend of Swift Mania. Um, in this household. So, yeah, good to be talking about something other than that again. Did you go to Taylor Swift, Dad? Of course. Um, and it was it was pretty incredible. Took my took my two daughters and um, probably the highlight of their young lives and one of the one of the most incredible musical experiences I've ever had. And I've worked as a music journalist for a long time, but that's probably another podcast. In terms of seating, were you on the wing? Were you behind the goals? What, in football perspective, where were you sitting? Well, it was extra special, Ash, because I was in the middle of the G, so I was actually on the oh. on the on the ground. Um, and it and it sort of dawned on me when I was uh, sitting there, just looking around and uh, imagining what it would have been like, um, you know, in in those three peak years or in two thousand and eight, just being in the middle of the ground. It was that was pretty special, actually. We near where Rough had ironed out Dan Hanbury, or were you sort of more where Dan, where Buddy leapt over uh, whoever it was to kick that long running goal? No, I reckon I was um, pretty close to to the Hanbury hit, so I thought I actually thought about that um, <laughs> at, at, at the time. This is probably probably a hallowed spot, so yeah, it was it was incredible to be in the G. And did you work out the the only thing we haven't been able to establish? is whether she changed in the Hawthorne rooms or the Melbourne rooms. Any clear on that? Is what? Did she change in the Hawthorne rooms or the Melbourne rooms? Oh, I haven't. I'll, I'll, I'll ask my sources, actually. I'll, I'll try and find <laughs> that out by the next space. No, well done. It was, uh, from all reports, a fantastic show. And despite all the uh, silly headlines, the MCG will come up a treat for round one, which is still about three weeks away. So uh, well done to everyone who was there. But did beg the question whether uh, – I'll ask one last thing before we move on, Daz. Did it make you think what time the grand final should be played, given how spectacular – how spectacularly well the MCG came up? Yeah, look, I think that that experience of dusk into, um, into night was pretty amazing. Concert kicked off at 7.30 and um, had, a, had a good hour or so of light before – it, it, the mood shifted. Um, I think a, a night grand final would be absolutely electric. I'm, I'm, you know, as much as I love the traditions of grand final day, I 
I just think it would be an amazing experience. And the tone definitely shifted. There was a different energy in the air. And yeah, I'm I'm absolutely all for it after experiencing that. So yeah, it it'd it'd be great for for footy. It's quite interesting. All the people who rail about uh, what well, it's not fair to the kids to have it play a grand final later in the day or into the evening would have had no hesitation if they could if they didn't take their kids to a Taylor Swift concert at the MCG. So the amount of hypocrisy that comes out of uh, the AFL Fans Association, or as it should be known, the Victorian Collingwood Cup and Richmond Supporting Fans Association is staggering. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked and we've only just started. Hello, Brad Klebanski. Hello, all. Good to be here again. Good to have you here with us. Um, we are going to focus on just a few bits and pieces out of the Hawks. Uh, it's, it's sort of quite, it's a bit of a quiet week. Um, our live show on March uh, the 13th at Glen Ferry Hotel. Um, again, the Hawks insiders were defamed by Damien Barrett on the Sounding Board podcast today when he said it was a sellout event. Daz, I believe we've got about three or four tickets left. That's correct, yeah. Four tickets last time I checked. So thanks to everyone for – that's just a phenomenal response. Um, I wasn't sure we'd sell five tickets. So to have <laughs> <laughs> to have four left is, is pretty amazing and we're all relinquishing our plus ones. Um, maybe we'll, we'll bump the number up a little bit. So yes, yeah, kind of no, to see everyone. No plus ones for me. All my mates can pay. So uh, I've uh, that's the edict I've put in, and a few of them have. So it's gonna be a great night. We're gonna have a couple more guests over the next little while, including one that I think everyone will be really keen to hear from and chat to. So that will be coming up in the next couple of days. Thanks always for your support of Hawks Insiders. Five dollars a month, fifty dollars a year for great content. We have apologies from Danny Prins. And uh, Andrew Weiss tonight. They will be back with us next week. Um, we've been had a space since the intra club practice game, but the news that emerged out of that game uh, is what's the opposite of the gift that keeps giving? It's something rather daz because as many eagle eyed hawk fans spotted at the family day on Saturday, um, that Denver, Denver Granger Barras was in a moon boot. Never a really good sign, and it turned out to be a disastrous sign for DGB. He is out for 12 to 14 weeks with turf toe, the same um, uh, affliction that ailed uh, James Frawley for, I think, one of his first, one of his earlier seasons at the Hawks. Desperately bad timing for DGB with James Blake's injury. Um, you know, it was going to give him a chance to find his cement a place in the back line. There had been some glimpses of some reasonable football from him in the match sims and the intra-club matches up to date. But that's now done. He won't be back till the middle of the season, by which time the horse may have bolted when it comes to his career. Brad, um, I'll get you to talk in a moment about how it recasts things defensively, but what was your reaction to hearing that news? Uh, shattering. I uh, actually really feel for DGB. I was at the game last Thursday, and as we've spoken about, he played really, really well. Uh, I know James Sicily spoke about it um, as well in his press conference um, after the game, a few days afterwards. I think uh, it was probably between Jai Sarong and DGB, probably for a spot in the back line. Uh, Phillips has obviously come in, which I know we're going to touch on. But, yeah, really disappointing. He's obviously in a contract uh, year, so... 
his contract ends at the end of this year. He still is only, I think, 21. But the issue he's going to have now is he loses another full season um, of uh, development. If he's out for 12 to 14 weeks, by the time he returns back to training, he'll probably need at least a three to four-week training block, then a couple of weeks of Box Hill at least. So best-case scenario, if he plays seniors, he's not playing seniors till probably around 17 or 18. So... It's disappointing for him. Hopefully, he does get a few games at the end of the year. Um, was he in our best 22? Probably not, but he would have been given an opportunity, I think, at least at the start of the year, um, probably maybe in the first three or four rounds. Um, so, yeah, really disappointing for him. I actually feel sorry for him because this was probably going to be the year where he would have been given a shot. Mick Cowell is with us this evening. Mick, our resident track watcher. You were at the game along with Brad. Do either of you remember the incident that led to the, to, the, the toe injury? No, I can't because I remember he played really well in the second half. So it must have happened probably closer to the end of the game. He did come off at one point. G'day, guys. Sorry. Yeah, he did come off at one point and had his um, ankle strapped. Uh, but obviously it might have been the lower foot. It's hard to tell when they were behind the blue tint. Um, but, yeah, it was just a normal ro- – looked to be a normal rotation. Came back on. There wasn't any – physical limping or anything like that. Um, I'm not 100% across how turf toe would present, but uh, the photo didn't look great. Got to say that his toe. Yeah, it looked very, uh, looked very nasty. You put something up on Instagram reasonably quickly. Daz, what were your thoughts when uh, you heard the news? Oh, I mean, same as Brad. I think it's a huge opportunity for him. I'm not sure on the time frame though, because isn't it sort of 12 weeks from now? So that probably would put him around mid-season for, for coming back, if, if my maths is right. But, um, yeah, this was a big opportunity for him, obviously, to step in um, with James Blank's injury. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because there wasn't even – we weren't even sure that he was going to be the one to come in over Sarong. So, you know, he still had to fight for his place there. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see when he does come back whether – you know, a couple others now in Phillips and Sarong have, you know, if they've taken their spot and they cement themselves in that team, um, it's another mountain to climb for him. So really feeling for him. I thought this was going to be his chance and now we're just going to have to wait and see how it all plays out. Uh, Daz, how would you sum up, sum up his career at Hawthorne so far? <laughs> Why go to me for this one, Ash? Like, I think... Um, I think DGB has been a, a massive disappointment in his career. And I, uh, I, I really, I think the, the switch forward last year was just a Hail Mary to try and see if there was a play there. Um, I haven't, I've seen, you know, he can't, he, he bursts out of the, the, the blocks, you know, you know, those early couple games. I think there was that game against GWS where you just felt we had a, a, a serious player there. Um, I don't know what's gone wrong since then. And, Last season was one to forget, just being a swingman, kind of a few, you know, goals here and there, but it just didn't really work out for him as a forward either. So I feel like this is probably the last year for him to, to show what he's worth. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate because you just always have high hopes for a, for a high draft pick, but sometimes they just don't work out. And, and that's footy. And then you look at some players that we got later in the draft or pinched James Blank as an example, who, you know, came out of absolute nowhere and is already ahead of him in the pecking order. So 
there's no guarantees with a draft as much as we want there to be, and uh, especially with key position players. Brad, did you ever buy DGB stock? Uh, I was bullish uh, early, speaking to Kane. Um, Kane's yeah. a, is a massive fan of our DGB. But unfortunately, as the curse of our pick six, Mitch Thorpe, Bodala, DGB, three players drafted as key position players who unfortunately, um, I think DGB, there's still maybe a glimmer of hope, but it's looking less likely as time goes on that he's going to be the player that we all hoped. He was in that really poor draft, uh, the COVID draft, where there weren't too many quality players. I think Jamara went pick one. Uh, Goulden's the best player in that draft, and the Swans got him as an academy player at pick 32. He's one of the best players in the AFL now at only the age of 21. So it's a tough one to swallow, especially because we really needed him to come on because we're really, really struggling down back. I don't think he would have been that big key position fullback that we that we had hoped he was going to be. But um, unfortunately for DGB, as we've said, um, he's going to miss a, a full art development year. Will uh, McCabe's going to play a full season at uh, Box Hill. But I think Will McCabe is probably going to be the, come on to be the player that we had hoped DGB will become in a couple of years' time. So it's disappointing because obviously Sis probably, and he has, you'd think probably three more years of really high-quality football. But when we're challenging again for a flag and hopefully – you know, three to five years' time, you need two quality key position defenders. And arguably, Hawthorne does not have them at the moment. Um, so the family day... Minute, on... Yes, Mick. Sorry, Ash. Yeah, I'm probably a bit more optimistic, particularly with what Peter Burge said on the um, podcast uh, last week as well in terms of how he views DGB's profile. Like, you know... It is unlucky for him being his last year of a contract. And again, it just, as the guy, other guys have said, decimates his opportunity to show what he can do. But again, Frost is going to, you know, in his last year of a contract, so there's going to be a spot there. I doubt that they'd re-sign him. So whether it becomes McKay, DGB, uh, Blank. Phillips is really raw from what I saw on Monday. Now, admittedly, he was like the kid that starts a week after everybody at school and still got to be shown around the place. But, you know, he looks... He's probably more in line body shape with Clay Tucker than, say, with uh, Blank at this point in time. So I don't know whether he he'll progress. Hopefully, you know, I'm not I'm not putting a knock on the kid at this early stage either. But I think DGB still got a bit to to show. And again, we picked him. He didn't ask to be picked at number six. So the onus is back on the club. And you know, I know a few of you follow American football, but there's this dilemma in American football where the recruiters blame the coaches and the coaches blame the recruiters. Um, that's, the, that's the conundrum of professional sport, how blokes come through or transition. Um, but, yeah, I think he's still got something to offer. Well, DGB was a Clarkson pick. Um, so yeah. we all wonder that meaningless game. We'll all look back at that, meaning, that game against Gold Coast in round it's one of the most fascinating games. You think about it. We'll talk about it for a sec. We've got a, you know we've got a bit of time to not talk about things. That round twenty two or twenty three game against Gold Coast in the COVID year, Hawthorne trounced Gold Coast in what was um, the last game for uh, Ben Stratton and Paul Piopolo. But it was an absolutely meaningless game of football that Hawthorne won. But that game um, put Hawthorne above Sydney on the ladder, which meant. Sydney grabbed Logan McDonald. 
So these meaningful, they, you know, it was all, anyone enjoyed that game. Anyone enjoyed watching Stratton get a goal and Hawthorne after a pretty shitty year beating up on a team. But it was one of the most meaningless wins of all time, Hawthorne, with potentially, uh, not fatal, but long-term consequences out of that win, Daz, because it, McDonald was a four they probably, they still love to have now. Um, and then we sort of taken for a while, maybe Chole might be the answer this year, but the forward line's been flailing a bit. So they end up with DGB, who, out of that, who really has, uh, has struggled. Yeah, I mean, classic sliding doors moment, and you'd, you'd love to have your time back, but you've just got to play the game that's in front of you, and that was the right decision to see strats off in that way. And, you know, you, we're not the sort of club that tanks for picks, unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes. And, um, you know, who's to say that... I, 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 honestly, there was so much good mail about around DGB and, you know, had that year in the waffle and, you know, he was, he was playing against bigger bigger kids as well. So, um, and didn't he play on Logan McDonald too? And, and He's a pantsip. Yeah. So, I know there were, there were massive raps on him. And, I, you know, it's, it's when, you, when you look at that draft and you look at who was around, uh, I don't even know if we made the wrong pick. Would have been nice to have Logan McDonald, but yeah, I'm I'm not sure who we would have picked up instead. Um, we actually took we actually took Braden Campbell before we took DGB, and we didn't pick Gould out of the Swans. Um, and Tilthorpe was picked too as well. You know, I don't think that he's necessarily come on. And Will Phillips has had the glandular fever. Um, and as Brad said earlier, the best out of those is Gould, and he went at 32. It's it's just it's a stuff draft. Yeah, the draft. No that. Yeah, yeah the, the the data of the draft and and the information about the players was always going to be really thin on the ground that year. So, um, good news if any consolation for DGB, it's his. You know, we've always uh, lamented the fact that he never put work into his never seems to put the work in his upper body. Although there was some talk he'd fill out a little bit over the summer, but it will be, be uh, he's got a really good chance to put some work into his upper body while he, his uh, foot recuperates so yeah I mean you might be right based on what Peter Betts said I wouldn't be surprised if he gets 12 months another 12 month contract provided he comes back in if he does the work and attacks his rehab um, even if it doesn't result in playing a lot of senior footy at the end of the year I wouldn't be surprised if the Hawks give him 12 months you know prove it all one last chance next year on, on some sort of uh, Reduce rookie deal, yeah. They might to list him with a promise to re rookie him or something like that. So, unless one of the WA clubs makes a big play for him, which is probably doubtful, um, I can see Pat Hawthorne persisting with him through 2025. But you would like to think that by then, um, there'll be a few players ahead of him in the pecking order. So, I want to focus a bit more on, on the back line and particularly with Brad and Mick to lead uh, this conversation. Of course, if you've got a question for any of us, raise a hand, we'll get you on. How does it work now? And the, the options are there's um, Sarong having done a pre-season in the back line and played a bit there last year as well, shown some promise. They've drafted Ethan or picked up Ethan Phillips as the SSP. Um, Frost, in an interview with uh, Andrew Weiss for Hawks Insiders, more or less said that he, um, he, he, he won't need to take off those darting runs anymore. His role will return to purely more of a negating defender, which is what Blank was. And Rob McCartney, in an interview on SEN, uh, when the news came out about Blank, more or less conceded that Blank and Frost were competing for the same spot on the side. I don't think... And I that was my suspicion all along, that they're both in, the, in a full-strength Hawthorne team that wouldn't have been room for both of them. Um, so 
on to you guys. You, you're both at the practice game. You and Mick, you watch a lot of training. What happens now? How, how, how do they structure up these roles? How can they structure up to keep James Sisley being at uh, keeping James Sisley at what he's best at? It's a really hard. It's going to be really hard for the coaches. I think the the six are locked at the moment. Uh, in it'll be Impey, Frost, uh, Sicily, Squimshaw, Amon, and Weddle will be the back six. How they structure up is another question. Uh, the the hard decision is going to be is who gets that seventh defender position. I think Sarong is probably in front, but the problem match committee are going to have which is a worry, is Essendon's forward line looks really big and strong on paper. they got Peter Wright, they've got um, Harry Jones, they've got Jake Stringer and uh, Langford. And those four, I know we don't like uh, the Bombers, Jones is probably the weakest link, but at full strength, a Wright, Stringer and uh, Langford is going to be a nightmare matchup for us. I'm pretty sure previously in the past, Wright's kicked, I think, six on Frost previously. And I think our back line are going to have a big problem against the Bombers. So I'd love to hear mixed thoughts. Do we play that seventh defender? And is it Sarong or Phillips? I think Phillips would probably be the better matchup, but I don't think he's going to be ready. Yeah, that's it, Brad. He just he looks too raw. You know? He has no... Um, it did some pre-season, uh, pre-season training before Christmas. But that was playing with the B side, so to speak. So any connection with um, Sicily, Weddle and those blokes wouldn't be there. And Sarong, in that um, in the practice in the intra club last week, he was the one that went back as soon as Blank went out. Um, I always had him penciled in as the seventh defender because he can play tall and small. Um, just on, on the Bombers, I saw a, a press report saying that Wright may not play the first game anyway. I think if I if I remember. Fingers right. crossed. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. It's Weddle, Frost, Sicily, Scrimshaw as the talls, Amon and Impey as the, as the smalls, and then Sarong plays the, the role in between coming off the bench to give the relief. Um, they haven't ruled Seamus uh, Mitchell out yet, or is, it, or is that just uh, that's just a formality that he won't be ready to play? Oh, he'll, he'll be ready. He's been doing everything but contact drills in the last week since he's broken the jaw, so... The question would be whether he'll have confidence, I suggest. But again, it's another small, so I don't know how many... You know, yeah. I don't think they'll go three tall, three small. And the Bombers don't two. really have quality small forwards. They've also got Nate uh, Caddy, who was their first pick in the draft, who pains me to say it, looks exciting and looks like he's going to burst onto the scene. He's going to play a lot of footy this year and be a quality player. So... It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But, yeah, I reckon I'll have to go with seven uh, defenders. Hardwick's the one I've been got a lot of feedback on in my Twitter in the last few days. Hardwick's going to play as a forward. He's starting as a forward. He won't go back against the Bombers because they don't really. there's no real matchup for him. Langford's probably too tall um, as his stringer. So, what about Gresham's the one they got to – he's the one as well. Yeah, I think Gresham plays more high half forward. So – I don't think um, Hardwick normally plays more of that lockdown role. The, the interesting thing with Hardwick's going to be after round one, we've got a nightmare draw of small forwards. He's going to get going to get Cosy Pickett round two, then uh, I think Stengel round three, Elliot and Bobby Hill round four. There's Papley, there's Zerha. It's a brutal run of small forwards. So hopefully Seamus should be back then. It's just whether or not they see him as a best twenty-two player. 
But I think, it, again, reading, I think, um, what Sam said and others have said, the amount of inside 50s they had, we had last year and got no result, I don't think they want to repeat that. So Hardwick, I think, will we'll play forward irrespective of who we're playing against purely for our forward structure sake. Because, you know, and I think we all noticed it, you know, our inside 50 numbers were quite competitive. We just didn't score. So you can't go back to what we had last year and with Ginevan and Watson being added in with Chol, but Hardwick's role, and if, if anyone saw any vision, now his inside 50 delivery is exceptional. You know, he is, I'd forgotten how good a ground, how, how good a field kick he is because more often than not, you see him kicking out from full back where he you know, runs out 10 metres and he kicks it long. But his forward delivery, you know, he hits the chest over 40 metres, you know, not much more than, you know, two metres off the ground the whole way if he's got the space. And equally, he can judge the distance too with a sort of that, that higher uh, loopy pass. So I don't think hard, you know, I'd be surprised if Mitchell turns everything around purely to negate another side if we're going to be an offensive side this year. Now, Wok has made a very interesting point in the, on the text, but I think I'm going to get him to say it now to the group and, and uh, th- throw an interesting slightly left field idea up. Good evening, Wok. Good evening. Um, I would not be sleeping on Jack Gunson playing centre-half back. I've heard, I think I heard on the radio that he's been training back and forward and he's done it before. And he's probably the one that's smart enough to actually slot in that hasn't been playing there. So I reckon he's probably the one. I'd say that's the wrong starts. But as you, it gets Jack a guaranteed spot in the side and then it's a swing man between forward and back, I actually reckon it works. Uh, Mick? He's had the most managed program probably of anybody in the senior 22. Um, even in the intra-club, he didn't play the first half, if I remember rightly. Um, and the, definitely in the, the week before when they had the, the more casual inter-club, inter he and Bruce sat it out, basically. I don't see him playing centre-half back at all. And with his back, too. You're going to have blokes jumping into him you know, as well. So he's a, I think he's a little bit of a fragile commodity with his body um, that has to be you know, managed. Um, yeah, so I don't know where that's come I didn't see that myself, but you know, I'm not saying... So I don't know where that's come from. But to me, it's Sarong is the next one, then it'd be Phillips. Because why would you draft him if you're not going to play him at some point in time, if, you, you know, if you're down to that level of you know, um, need? Is Sarong ready? Question for all of you. Uh, is Sarong ready? I think so. You know, the last couple of games he played last year were, you know, were quite good. He played well against Melbourne. He went in the back line there. Um, and again... Just going by what we saw last week, you know, he was the one they swung back when Blank went down. So Friday will be interesting because, you know, the dog is a, you know, the tallest side, tallest forward line in the comp. So it'll be interesting to see how we match up and what they actually do, obviously. But yeah, I think you can. Thanks for that, Wok. Whitey, good evening. G'day, boys. How you going? Good, mate. Um, I've got a feeling we're starting to go back with, I think Mick said it about our, entry, or Ash, you might have said about our entries into forward 50 were struggling, even though we had enough in there, we didn't do anything with it. I've got a feeling the game, listening to watch Collingwood play and listening to even how they talked about North Melbourne Day, I think we're going back to a bit of the Malcolm Blight thing. You can score 100, we'll score 120. 
I don't think it matters what's going on down the back. I think this time we're trying to get it so we can score and put pressure on the teams because I think we've got the centre line that if the pill's going back to the centre every three minutes, we've got the centre line that can keep winning it and taking it back that way. So I think we're starting to get a bit of the old Malcolm White. You score 120, we'll score 130. That's what they're trying to do by the sound of what you're saying. Daz, would you enjoy that? Oh, I, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head, Whitey. I think, I think everything that they've done in the off season, and you know, maybe Mick will have a bit more context here, but it's it's a very offensive kind of defense that they want to play. And I think the move uh, moving Hardwick forward just says it all about the way Sam Mitchell wants to shape this team. It's an offensively minded team. Um, you know, Hardwick admitted it in an interview last year, and, and I think that's that's really what they're going to. Uh, focus on and I, I, I don't think it's going it, it, to, of course it's a big blow uh, with Blank and, and DGB going down but I don't think it's actually going to change their structure too much because they're, they're looking at a team defence and they're looking at running at this run and gun out of the back line so I think CJ is probably the one that, that uh, wrecks the plans a little bit in that respect but they've got a lot of offensive weapons off half back um, and I think they're going to use them yeah, I think much of their uh, it's predicated on and, and Frost said again, get the ball in the hands of um, Amon, get the ball in the hands of of uh, MP, get Weddle. the ball in the hands of Weddle, and take off and get the ball down there. And then you've got get it there where Troll and Lewis and Watson and Bruce and Ginnivan can go out and start to do their stuff. So I think that's it. Looks reasonably clear cut what get, what they're going to try and do. Darren's right in terms of. I think CJ's a bigger loss with that run and carry through the midfield. So it probably opens up a spot for D'Ambrosio now to play off that wing where he has been um, placed in the, in the intra-club games. Um, so, again, he'll probably become a you know that that run and gun, so to speak. You know, the Collingwood style that they played last year off half-back when they had Jack Crisp and those blokes running off there. Same thing with Amon, D'Ambrosio. As I said, CJ's the missing one because the burst of speed that... Nash and um, Warple, you know, they're given the don't argue, so they don't give clean possession once they once they dispose of it necessarily. So those outside runners are going to be key, um, and then Mackenzie and Ward are the other two in terms of their um, capacity to get away from the pack and also deliver inside fifty. Um. So I yeah I, I have thought of. of Sort of Nick, Nick, I was going to say, oh yeah, Harry Morrison. Where's Morrison at? I mean, he's the forgotten player at Hawthorne. No one talks about him. But he actually coming off a very good, reliable season last year. Um, and Hawthorne, when and Hawthorne played, some, when Hawthorne played some good footy later in the year, he played good footy. He was exceptional in that game against Collingwood. Why doesn't anyone talk about Morrison anymore? And is it, what have you observed out of him in the preseason, Mick? Uh, I've been impressed with Harry. He played in the second half. He played in the A team um, on a wing with uh, D'Ambrosio. So. Obviously, with CJ out now, um, Sam seems to really rate uh, Harry as well. And I think we all forget Harry's only 25. So he's in, you know, more or less the peak of his uh, career at the moment. Um, I think he's going to play. He he plays his role really well. um, And I think the wings will be Morrison and uh, D'Ambrosio for the first game. I might be wrong, but... um, from what I saw, D'Ambrosio and Morrison in the second half of the game last Thursday both played on the both played as the wings in uh, the A team. Uh, Harry kicked a good goal. 
doesn't really waste his disposal. I think our supporters are harsh on him. I think they think he's a very uh, vanilla player. But you sometimes need those type of players in the team. And Sam really likes him because he plays his role and he plays it well. So Mick's spoken about D'Ambrosio. I was really impressed with him. His left foot is unbelievable. Mick uh, put us on that weeks and weeks ago. But I think the knock on D'Ambrosio is he's incredibly poor uh, defensively. So um, probably more suited for a wing than a roll across half back. But Harry, for me, I think he plays round one. Yeah, Harry was flying pre-Christmas and then he got that knock um, and he got concussed there for a, a week or so just leading up to the Christmas break and he's come back. Hasn't put a foot wrong as far as I could see. I think that, you know, I described him last week. He's a professional footballer and the role I can see him playing is that defensive seventh player going, pushing back into the fence that, and to give the run out or alternatively playing that tagging outside midfield role that he played against Collingwood on side bottom. Um, he can he can lock down, but he also knows when to go on the attack. Um, yeah, I've got time for him. Yeah, he's just he is a professional role player within the side, and you need those. So looking ahead to um, Friday after or Friday late morning, I think it is at Witten Oval. The first eleven o'clock. Yeah, eleven o'clock at Witten Oval. A question without notice for the three of you is what? Give me the three things you you most want to see out of the game. I know you're going to be there, Brad. Not sure about you, Mick, but um, what are the three things you want to see out of the game? Brad, yeah, Mick, you go. Oh, Mick, go, go, go first. All right, no worries. Um, I want to see a forward line structure and see how Chol and Lewis. And whether it's Gunston or and Hardwick, how that structures up. Um, the second thing I want to see is how the ruck plays out with Reeves, because it's giving a good test. And then the third thing is the obvious one: how the back half structures up. Um, I'm not too concerned about the midfield because I think that probably look after itself. But they're probably the three things in order of priority. It suggests for me anyway. Yeah, for me, I think the midfield's uh, going to be uh, interesting. The Bulldogs' midfield, I think on paper, looks good, but I think I don't think it's as good as the public seem to rate it as. But for us, uh, Henry Husswaite was the one who impressed me the most last week, and I think he deserves a spot in the round one side. But if he plays, it means one of McKenzie or Ward don't play. So I'd like to see... I think there's a spot up for grabs in the midfield. Obviously, Day's going to be out... Probably, I would say, I've, I'm on uh, record as saying this, Day's not going to play till around five, at, I reckon, at the earliest. I saw him at the intra club last week. He's in a moon boot. He's limping still. He's a long way off playing uh, footy. So, uh, Husswaite's the one that I think can come into the side, and he's got the body to come in and have an impact straight away. He's a similar size to Bont. So, be, uh, in, I think he might spend a bit of time on Bont. Nash in the regular season, we'll play on bot when we play against uh, the Bulldogs. But the midfield's going to be fascinating. Um, yeah, how we structure up in uh, the forward line. I've been interested with the Lewis and Chol uh, combination. I think Lewis has actually struggled. I think it's going to take him a bit of time. Um, he was quite poor in the intra-club last week. I thought Chol's been a lot better than him this preseason. Um, and then uh, the wing. Uh, is it Harry and D'Ambrosio starting on uh, the wings, which I think it will be? Um, that'll be interesting to see. And then one more quick one, the back line. The Bulldogs forward line, as I think Mick's touched on, 
They've got Norton, Hugo Hagen, and Sam Darcy this season is going to break out. He's going to rock it up. He's going to surprise a lot of people. He's going to be a superstar. So it's going to be interesting to see how, our, uh, as Daz calls it, uh, team defense structures up against the Bulldogs' forward line. Wait, you, Daz, what are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah, I, th- I think um, – I don't know if there's much left to say there, but I think definitely – just how that back line holds up against, as Brad said, one of the tallest forward lines and in, 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 in most exciting young dynamic forward lines in the AFL. Um, I really rate Ugo Hagen and um, I think, I, I agree, I think Dicey's going to have a, a breakout year. So can that, I think it'll be a great test, early test for, for that makeshift defence. Um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this, you know, this last kind of, competition for places, people putting their hands up, the Husswaites of the world, the Wards, McKenzie's, D'Ambrosio, um, just some of these new recruits as well and and, and, and seeing how they go um, and, and then kind of staking their claim too. Um, and then the last thing, I just wanted, I wanted them to get through unscathed. And I know I should, should have probably jinx them but uh yeah that's that's the biggest thing that i want to get out of that game yeah i don't think i think uh we we, we the hawthorne had a very good run of injuries last year and uh i thought i put this on twitter the uh, injury gods uh at their the, the gods of footy at their end of season review said uh look took note of that with hawthorne and said well that won't be the case again this year it's uh it's looking a bit dire last question for each of you before right. we look at a couple of other things has the the spate of injuries and who that Hawthorne have had them to, has it dampened your expectations for the season? Have you had a fresh look at what you thought Hawthorne might achieve the season? Have you, have you downgraded your expectations and likely wins on the basis of what, what you've seen so far? Daz? It's such a weird and unpredictable team that I have absolutely... I can't, I can't get a read on it. Um, it's a bit of a transformed and transitional forward line with a lot of wild cards in there. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling to get a read on, on how we'll go. I, I assume we're going to finish around the same spot as last year. I don't, I'm not going to buy into the hype of us finishing uh, just out of the eight. I just, I think this team's got a couple of years more of development before we're seriously cha- challenging for finals. So I can see us finishing kind of around the same, um, you know, spot as we did last right. year. Uh, I am with Daz. Uh, I think at the moment now, Day is the one, obviously, that's really going to hurt at the start of uh, the season. And I know people comment like our injury list is quite big and people say they, you know, most of them are, I guess, fringe players. But James Blank was our starting fullback. CJ would have been our starting wing. Uh, Moore's the other one who at the moment could either play uh, round one or not play the first four weeks of uh, the season. Our depth is better than it was in previous years. But the thing is with copying injuries this early on in the season is and injuries are going to happen as uh, the season are go on. So the players that are hurt now are starting way behind. They don't get a preseason. And these days with how hard players train and how hard the game is to play, when you don't get a preseason, you start way behind. So someone like a Will Day who's probably not going to play the first month of the season. It's going to take him probably to round seven or eight before we see the real Will Day. 
So the injuries at the moment, whilst yes, they're not, I guess, our, you know, eight of our top players, but it still hurts when your depth players are injured at this time of year because unfortunately, as we've seen in previous years, our quality, like there will be quality players that are probably going to go down and get uh, injured. So I agree with Daz. I've still got us winning between probably seven and nine games, but with how even the competition is, you can win eight or nine games and still finish in the bottom four, which won't be a bad uh, result for us. What are you, Mick? For me, it's about progression of the, <clears throat> of the game plan and game style. You know, the wins themselves are irrelevant, so I don't see us finishing top four. If you don't finish top four, you don't have a chance to win the flag. So, you know, I'm a bit more probably pragmatic, of, you know, if that's the term, to say, you know, get a forward line that works, that takes advantage of the midfield work that we've we've developed over the last 12 months and see what we can we can get out of some players in terms of like Sarong as a backman. Um, just back to the earlier point, Ash, this this Friday will be interesting actually in terms of how they structure the game because some of the some of the match sim games have been very unusual. It's you now they've stopped games halfway through and done some scenario and we play the Bulldogs again the week after. So I don't know how you know, how they'll how Mitchell and Beveridge will sort of set up Friday to be honest. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I, I'd expect a bit of um, a bit of scenario uh, play in, in given that the two teams are playing a proper scratch match the week after. I wouldn't be surprised if they mix a few things up in this one. Uh, Patrick, good evening. I was just to Brad's point. I don't know if anyone noticed, but the club put out Patrick, a photo. You there? Hey, can you hear yeah. me? Yeah, we can hear you. I can hear you. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, Asking I can't you, hear Patrick, but you guys can uh, you guys uh, talk to him and uh, answer him. I can't hear him. I was just going to say to Brad's point before. I saw the the club social media release the pick and delete since deleted it of um, Will Day out out of a moon boot. That's very eagle-eyed, Patrick. I didn't. Did you see? No, that I one, didn't Brad? see it, but I wonder why they would delete it. It was in the. It was there. For, mm. They put the pack cash one up, and it was a one beforehand that they deleted. That's interesting. Well, hopefully, it's yeah. off, but it'd be. I'd be questioning why they would delete the picture. Maybe it's an old picture when he when he wasn't in a moon boot. Maybe. Um, but yeah, th- thanks for that, Patrick. I think um, we'll have to do a bit of digging now. I'm, I'm very intrigued. I'll invest the game on Friday. We'll I'll be at uh, Winnen Oval <laughs> and I'll be keeping an eye out for uh, Will Day and I will tweet it out to everyone. I'll take a picture. Um, further news for the Hawks is they, uh, a couple of weeks ago, finally unveiled Dingley as in they turned the first sod. So if you had any doubts that this project that's been happening since 2016 is not going to go ahead. They can finally be erased when you don't drag the Prime Minister out there on on hope and a prayer uh, as they turn the first sod. Um, Albo is, by the way, talking like a serious Hawthorne supporter. He, talked, he, he spoke in great detail about going to the 91 grand final and where he stood or where he sat out at Waverley for that one. So I think we can truly count him as a, as a Hawthorne person, even though I suspect he probably doesn't know can't name more than three or four players. But Dingley's going ahead. Uh, it looks like now it's going to be a slow build. It'll be, 20, be 16, 17 months before they would be close to moving in. I think the goal is for the AFLW team to play out there 
by then. But Darren, um, it was a good sign that uh, that finally things are now going to be starting to be built above ground there. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, as you said, Ash, the Prime Minister doesn't just come out uh, for anything. So, and, you know, I, I do think he loved, it's, it's a weird relationship that he has with the Hawks. Obviously, everyone's seen that vision of him um, with uh, Melbourne Rock Band. I think it's, I think they're called Tyrannaman, um singing the Hawthorne song, maybe at the tote, I would say. Um, so there's obviously some Hawthorne connection there. Um, I'm not sure if he knows who Nick Watson is, uh, or what number he has on his back, but yeah, uh, terrific to, to, to have him out there and to kickstart this project. I think there's a, a long way to go. They're talking late 2025, but, um, it's a significant project, $113 million. So we've just got to be patient, um, that. Yeah, it, it's it's a great feeling knowing it's actually happening. It will, and the opening should coincide with Hawthorne sort of breaking the top four, top six, uh, and a, a place that players will want to come to work. Last thing I want to talk about, we've got a few comments which we'll get to and then we'll finish up, is the Hawks are announcing the um, Retro Guernsey for 2024. They're asking fans to vote which one they want to see when Retro around the Great success of the jumper they wore against Collingwood last year. The choice is the side-eye jumper that they wore from 2000-2011. So many great memories, so many great wins, so many great Lance Franklin highlights and Luke Hodge highlights in that jumper. The 2000-2003 preseason lightning bolt jumper, which was quirky but not bad, and the sort of front-on Retro Hawk that they wore between 2011 and 2014. As I look on the Hawthorne website, there's a very young-looking Luke Bruce wearing that one. Daz, I know you hate it, but you are our fashion guru. Surely the side eye gets the vote. Oh, Ash, I don't know why you always go to me for for this. I have very poor memories of jumpers and haven't ever owned one. Uh, so it's a, it's a shame Weezy's not here because I think he'd have some really strong opinions. But yeah, I agree. It's 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 got to be the side eye. Um, just just an incredible era, and I hope that one comes back. Even though I probably won't purchase it. Um, uh, Brad, you got any views? Uh, I actually like the other. I like the was it the two thousand and eleven to two thousand and fourteen one, the white one with the front on hawk. I really like that one. So I think I saw most of the feedback on socials was either, yeah, that one or the one that uh, Daz and uh, you like. So it'll be one of those two. I'll show you one of those two. There's plenty. There's only so many jumpers you can have, Richard. They'll all get a turn, an opportunity at some stage. Uh, yes, Patrick. Look at you on. Yes, Patrick. Not there. Not there. Oh, never mind. Um, we'll get to some. Uh, we'll get to some comments, and we might have an early one tonight. Um, from Doc, should we be concerned about Mitch Lewis's form in Match Sims alongside Chol, or is there still enough time for that connection to build? I've always said that Hawthorne season will. I mean, this is before the defence was decimated, but the biggest question mark for me heading into the season was the chemistry in the forward line. It's such a new forward line. So many new pieces. Arguably, when you think about it, Ginevan, Watson, Chol, Gunston, none of them were there last season. So it's going to take a while for the chemistry to take place. And I still think it looks like Lewis and Chol still trying to work out 
who goes where, who leads, who stays back. That will take some time. That's why a couple of guys said that's one thing to watch out for on Friday. That needs to show some signs to me that is starting to work. Uh, why do you ask you this, Daz? Would you take a twilight even starting at 4 p.m. with half time at 5.30, second half starting at 6 p.m.? That was a discussion about uh, uh, a grand final starting time, which won't affect Hawthorne for a few years, of course, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, is that a consideration around kids going to bed? Because I think that's just the weakest um, excuse of all time, really, um, on a Saturday night. Harden up Melbourne because a lot of a lot of kids went to bed at one one thirty going to Taylor Swift. So um, I don't think that's that's really a massive consideration. And I think um, you know that that's six o'clock start time would be would be pretty epic. But um, yeah, I, I guess I'd have to just work it out in terms of when the sun would go down and and turning the lights up and. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really beholden to a time. I just just love that transition from day to night. I think it'd be terrific. Uh, from Jaden, thirty minute quarters on Friday. Box Hill play straight after Hawthorne. That yeah, we knew that it'd be like uh, four quarters of Bulldogs and Hawthorne AFL, and then I think three or four quarters of VFL. Apparently, the Bulldogs have got some sort of family day afterwards, so they'll want to uh, finish the VFL game pretty quickly and get on with their big event out there. Surf Coast lad, time for Jack Scrimshaw to stand up. Challenged by Mitchell, second half last year, and showed some improvement. Has another level in him. Uh, we've done, I think we talked about uh, Scrimshaw before, Mick, but you've been impressed so far. Yeah, yeah. He's He's been switched on. He seems to be more... I don't know, didn't see training this time last year, but he's definitely engaged in the group. He's running better. Um, yeah, I, and he's... And he's actually outed himself saying last year he, you know, he dropped the ball, so to speak. So he's looked at his game. I've got no issue with him. You know, again, perhaps he's the role. He might be the one that gets put into the lockdown role to allow Sicily to uh, be more elusive, so to speak, more creative. Um, that that probably structurally has greater uh, benefit to the to the team. Uh, question for from. Uh... Greg, uh, how does Finn fit into the team or will it just be horses for courses? Brad, got any quick thoughts on that? That is a fascinating question that I think a lot of Hawthorne supporters are going to want uh, answered to start uh, the season. I have Finn in my side, as I've spoken about in our group. I think he has to play on uh, merit. Um, with Essendon's forward line and Zach uh, Merritt's disposal, if Zach Merritt has 35 uh, touches, Hawthorne lose that game by five goals plus, and Finn's the player that can play on Zach Merritt. He's fit. He runs all game. Finn is definitely – I think Finn needs to play, but then again, if Finn plays and if Henry Husswade plays, uh, McKenzie and Ward probably don't. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but I do have Finn in my side. He played, I think, the last nine games of last season, and I don't think our team in midfield at the moment – is good enough to go head-to-head and uh, win. I think Finn at the moment plays a role that will give our team the best chance to win. And to beat Essendon, you stop Merritt. Their midfield's not great. Parrish is an accumulator. They've got a few other, uh, you know, okay midfielders. Setterfield is a pretty good midfielder. Jai Caldwell will play midfield. But Zach Merritt is the absolute key. You stop him against Essendon and you probably beat them. Hawk 12, I'm with Mick. I just want to see progression, keep building games into players and try to attract a few more. I think we only win five games this year, unfortunately. It could be a tough start to the year. Jeez, Hawk, the very pessimistic five wins will be a miserable winter. I'd like to think they'll win a few more than that. 
Damien Bertram. Interesting that Nathan Buckley said an SEN that Sam Mitchell said CJ and Blank were in the top five players they couldn't afford to lose. Uh, I did hear that remark. It's certainly Blank. I think they really did see him as that lockdown defender. CJ is interesting. At his best, he's a he's a gifted player. We haven't seen the best of him for two years, though, so I, I'm not quite sure he's been in the top five players they couldn't afford to lose. Um, Adam says two thumbs up to the club for an awesome day on Saturday. So well organised and amazing access to the players. Yeah, I'm a bit uh, sort of not of the uh, family day age group anymore, but the pictures on social media look terrific. I think the big win... The big tick was getting the players back signing autographs from autograph tents again. I think from all accounts, that was something that had been missing for a while. So, well done for the Hawks. Not sure how many family days they've got left them out at Waverley, given the move to Dingley, but I assume the plan is that it moves to Dingley. When the club does, it would be great having mirrored a few people said this. It'd be great if once a year Hawthorne did something in uh, Glenferry Oval. Let's see what the hope is for that uh, later on. Um I think that's going to be it. We've uh, probably gone through everything. It says it's a quiet week sort of between games. Big game Saturday, so Friday, 11 o'clock at Witten Oval, Hawthorne v. the Western Bulldog. Bad you will be there. I look forward to your report on Hawks Insiders for the game. Um, not sure who else is going, but uh, we will have it covered off as well as we can on Hawks Insiders. And don't forget, there's still a few tickets remaining. For March 13, more guests to be announced very soon. Also, we'll announce how we're going to uh, make the event accessible for those who can't join us on the night. Daz, any housekeeping before we go? No, I think, um, yeah, just looking forward to seeing everyone at at our panel show. And um, thanks again for for buying tickets. that's yeah. That's it, Ash. I think we can we can wrap, we can wrap up. up. George wanted these early finishes, Dad. So tonight we get the early finish. Oh, a whole seven <laughs> minutes back in my life. So thank Correct. you so I'm much. I'm going to return to my sick bed now. So thanks everyone for joining us, Hawks Insiders. We'll be back with you. I said great content out of the uh, match practice game against the Dogs. We're back with you again Wednesday night, eight thirty. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Mick. Thanks, Whitey, Walk, Patrick, and others who joined us. Enjoy the uh, rest of the week and the weekend. We'll talk to you again next week on Hawks and Tires. Thanks and good night. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne Footy Club coverage.